Shabbat Shalom. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome our guest. Um, I could say something silly that I knew uh, Ira when he was this big, but uh, that's not the case. Um, seriously, uh, Joy and I have known Ira and Gloria, oh my, uh, about 30 years. Not quite, yeah. Pretty close. And um, as Joy mentioned, uh, Ira and Gloria are involved in a ministry called RTF, Restoring the Foundations. And uh, before I invite you, Ira, to come up and um, pray with you, um, since I'm not preaching, I need to have an opportunity to say something. Seriously, uh, I do have something serious. Um, it gives me great pleasure, um, not just because these guys are friends and uh, colleagues in ministry, but it gives me great pleasure, folks, because this to me is the next phase in the uh, part of the next phase in the Messianic Jewish movement. Why do I say that? Um, you may know that in the 60s and 70s, there was a profound move of God that brought um, thousands, actually hundreds of thousands of Jewish people into the kingdom uh, to acceptance of Yeshua. And part of what happens is that God takes us, warts and all. And that's a good thing, isn't it? You know, if we had to come before the Lord and say, Lord, um, I need to be absolutely 1,000% free of warts, we would never come. But part of what happens is that redemption or salvation in a big sense, salvation in a big S takes place, but then salvation in a small S also needs to take place. What do I mean by that? Uh, that if God comes into our life, then his desire is to be in all of our life, and part of what hinders the work of God in our life is that we come with all kinds of baggage, and that often we don't understand what the baggage is, and even when we do, we're not willing to relinquish the baggage to God. God's um, loving and, and effective hands because we're afraid of what will happen if we open the door and say, Lord, come in. We're afraid of what will happen when we open the door and we see all the bats and, and uh, spiders and tarantulas and so on and so forth. Um, so this is what has had to happen in, in our community because until God gets a hold of us, we're not completely free in lots of areas and we are hindered in our ability to worship God and serve him because of all this baggage. And so um, I'm delighted to see these guys because 
they're, for me, first fruits of what God wants to do to bring about a greater and deeper amount of healing in our community. Not just for our sake, but that we would be more uh, properly um, equipped in our ability to be lighthouse in darkness, which is what, what the Lord has called us to do. And so we want to stand with you guys and affirm you and bless you and pray for you as, as you come up. Thank you, Lord, that you are Adonai Rofeinu, the Lord who heals us <coughs> inside and out. And Lord, um, you're the great shepherd. You know um, our baggage, you know our wounds, and um, you're able to bind up the wounds, Lord God. And set us free to walk in newness of life. You're able to set us free to serve you, the living God. And thank you, Lord, that you have raised Ira and Gloria. Thank you, Lord, for the calling and gifting and anointing from your Ruach that you have on them. And uh, we pray, Lord God, that, that you would release them um, to a fuller measure of this ministry in power and effectiveness. Lord God, that through them and who they are and that this ministry, Lord God, that you impact the lives of many, many people, that you would bring your shalom, your wholeness to our people. And we pray, Lord, that in all things you would receive much honor and glory. The name of Yeshua. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Amen. All right. Can we move this out of the way? Yeah. Great. Thank you. I just want to say, yeah. let me just say hello real quick and then I'm going to sit down. <laughs> I just wanted to greet you all this morning. Thank you so much, Chaim and Joy and the congregation for having us. We're excited. Hey, Nathan. <laughs> I knew him when he was a boy. No. <laughs> Um, we're just very excited to be here, and we are excited about what God is doing in, in our lives today, in all of our lives, because he does want to move all the rocks and the baggage and all the stuff in front of the door. We get real comfortable in our little rooms, and we're just like being there, and sometimes it's not a, such a good place, but, you know, the Lord says, well, just start moving the stuff out of the way, and I'll show you how to walk in healing and walk in wholeness, and we have sat there, and we've gone through a whole lot of stuff of our, ourselves, and we know how much is needed in the body because it's an inside job that God does, you know. It's the inside job. And when the inside gets all good and cleaned out, the outside just shines. And it's for his glory. It's all for his glory. So we want to thank you so much for having us here. And we're excited about this next week when we start the, the seminar and, and when we do this together because God loves us so much. He knows all the secrets. He knows all the hidden places in there. He knows the doors we haven't even opened yet. And so he says, just, he says I'll show up and I'll show off. And that's what God does. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Amen. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, it is uh, really a privilege and an honor to be here with you, Chaim, and Joy, and, and uh, Mishpacha here. Uh, let me get the commercial out of the way first, and then um, 
We'll see what God has to say. So uh, as has already been mentioned, we do have the seminar that we'll be leading starting Wednesday night. Anyone here planning on attending? A few of you? Oh, that's awesome. Great. Um, well, there's uh, the information, I think, is in, in that thing right there, the Pushka stand or whatever, or maybe it got moved to the back. And then also on the back table uh, out there, we have a, uh, there's a brochure welcome to pick up on our ministry, which we call Heritage House. Um, also, uh, there's a brochure on restoring the foundations, which is specifically what we uh, use uh, to bring the healing ministry to folks, both through the seminars. Uh, this actually describes the personal ministry that we could do with an individual or a couple. So that's there as well. And then uh, there's a card here you can pick up if you're interested in, in supporting us. Uh, you're welcome to pick one of these up. And even if you're not interested in supporting us financially, if you'd be interested in receiving our newsletter, uh, email newsletter, uh, just go ahead and fill out your name and email address and just say, put me on your uh, newsletter list. Um, and then that will also, this will also be a reminder uh, for you to pray for us as well as we bring ministry of healing, uh, particularly to our, uh, our movement. Uh, we're, we're the only um, ministers within uh, the Messianic movement that have been trained through RTF. And I'm going to share a little bit about what RTF is all about. Um, but it's certainly not the only one, but we've, we've been around a while and have seen different things and really believe it's the most effective um, means of uh, bringing healing to people that we've seen in, in um, nearly 30 years of ministry. So uh, I encourage you to come out uh, for, the se for the seminar if you're able to. Uh, if not, um, maybe there'll be another opportunity down the road as well. So um, Heritage House is Gloria and I's ministry that we uh, are, are moving in. We have uh, start. We started a congregation in Boca Raton, Florida, uh, about 24 years ago. That we've been leading all these years, and uh, recently we've raised up a younger couple. And this year we're transitioning uh, out of full-time congregational leadership and into full-time with Heritage House. So we're excited about that. Uh, a little scary, but um, we know that God's in charge and He's faithful, and He's already done some amazing things. So we spend now most of our time working with Heritage House, uh, doing some travel. Uh, we did a seminar in February in Kansas City, the congregation, and we'll be doing one later this later next month in uh, Tampa at a Messianic congregation, and then North Carolina, and then it just goes on from there. So we're excited about what God is uh, doing uh, among us, and we're so uh, excited to be here. So um, I want to share a little story with you. Uh, about 30 years ago, uh, there was a young Jewish guy that uh, was sort of uh, wandering around, wondering and seeking truth, maybe, and his uh, uh, Gentile wife, who had been praying for him for a while, and other people had been praying as well, uh, living up in Estes Park, uh, brought him down to a uh, to, uh, on Yom Kippur, uh, to a service uh, at a Messianic congregation in Denver, Colorado. And the first person that he met when he walked in the door to this Messianic congregation uh, was Chaim. And uh, Joy wasn't in the, totally in the picture yet. Well, they weren't married. She may have been in the picture. I don't know. And, uh, of course, that uh, Jewish young man was myself, and that lovely wife was uh, my wife, still my wife today. And uh, so we went down to that uh, Messianic congregation. I had been uh, 
going to Baptist Church up in uh, Estes Park for about a year or so, struggling with this idea of whether Jesus could actually be the Messiah that was promised to our people. And um, uh, Eliezer, um, a blessed memory, came to the church several months prior to this and spoke, and I wasn't there, but my wife was there, and she was all excited uh, meeting him, knowing that her Jewish husband, that there were other Jews who believed, and here was a guy who obviously was Jewish with the long beard and the, uh, you know, the, the shofar, where she came home and said, yeah, he blew this horn. And uh, I said, you mean a shofar? Well, I don't know what it is, but it was a horn. <laughs> my wife is from a small town in Mississippi, and I'm from New York, <laughs> another small town. So, and we met and married here in Colorado, and um, so she didn't know much about Jewish culture and Jewish background. And so um, she was telling me about this, this guy named Eliezer who believed in Jesus, and he was Jewish. And I said, can't be. If he's Jewish and he believes in Jew- Jesus, he can't be Jewish anymore, because that's what I believe. Well, God began to work in me, and I won't go into all the details, but uh, finally that um, fall, about six months later, I thought, you know, I've been going to this Baptist church, and I've been struggling with this, and maybe I need to get back to my Jewish roots, you know. And uh, so we were going to go to a traditional synagogue, but as you may know, they charge dues and and tickets and all that, and didn't really want to do that. And I thought, hey, what about that Messianic congregation down in Denver? Let's find out if they charge dues or not or tickets to go for their holiday service. So I called up and got Eliezer on the phone and and uh, asked, I told him, my wife met you, you know, a few months, oh, yes, yes, I remember, I remember, and, and uh, I said, so we're interested in coming to your holiday service, do you have holiday yes, we have holiday service, and do you charge, no, we don't charge, and come on down, and so we went down for Yom Kippur, uh, Erev Yom Kippur, Kol Nidre, and uh, like I said, the first person I met was Chaim and his smiling punim, and a little dark, a little less gray, a little more on top, but still look pretty much the same as he does now. And uh, we became friends. And, uh, of course, that night, uh, actually on the way home, is the night I surrendered my heart to Yeshua. And, I, and, um, and yes, and I came into the, to the newness of life. And, uh, and over the subsequent months, uh, we would come down every so often and go to Shabbat service and We'd meet with Eliezer and Sarah. They'd invite us to their home, and we'd hang out with them. And, and uh, we're invited to uh, Joy and Chaim's wedding, which was uh, a great joy and great blessing. It was a zoo, yes. I vaguely remember that part, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a Jewish wedding. What can you say, you know? And, and then we were, uh, you know, by really through Eliezer's encouragement and inspiration, uh, we felt God calling us into full-time ministry. And uh, subsequently, we moved to Colorado Springs. Well, I'm sort of getting the time frame a little uh, mixed up. But eventually, God called us to ministry, and we moved to Florida in 1990. And we didn't have as much relationship after that, but uh, from time to time, we'd run in, in each other at conferences and so forth. But... Uh, you guys have always been special to us, and uh, it's so good to be here and to reconnect with you guys. It means a lot. Amen. So, resurrection. Mechiat hametim. How important that is, right? And I understand that today is the day that you celebrate that important event in uh, God's 
history. And you know, I could say I believe that you would agree with me that if you look back in the scope of history, God's story of history, that the resurrection of Yeshua from the dead is the most significant uh, event of all of history. But you know, there's going to be a future event that will actually overshadow his uh, resurrection, which of course is his return, and we look forward to that day as well. And so when we celebrate resurrection, we're not just looking back on the event that happened 2,000 years ago of Yeshua's resurrection, but we're also looking forward because after all, he is the first fruits, right, of many, and he's a foreshadowing of that which we will look forward to at the end of the age when he brings all things back to what God originally intended it to be. So, but apart from the resurrection, and we'll just talk about the resurrection of Yeshua a little bit, apart from the resurrection of Yeshua, really, he's just another Jew that died, you know, uh, wrongly, that was killed wrongly, right? And it was his resurrection that confirms and affirms the truth and the reality of who he was, that he was and is the Son of God, the one that was promised by the prophets who would come and redeem uh, Israel. He claimed to be the Son of God, right? He claimed to be divine. And so it's through the resurrection that he confirms and uh, validates uh, the truth uh, of that reality. And so the question uh, for us that I I just want to pose to us today is, how does his resurrection 2,000 years ago actually affect our lives today? And I think Yeshua addressed that uh, pretty well. And I'd like for you, uh, if you would turn with me to John chapter 11, Yochanan chapter 11, and let's look at Yeshua's interaction in this uh, story that I'm sure you're familiar with of Lazarus and Lazarus's resurrection, uh, which of course was a foreshadowing of what was to take place subsequently in Yeshua's own death, uh, burial, and resurrection. So let's look at his words as he spoke to his followers Um, And you know the story. So Yeshua's buddy Lazarus, um, you know, lived in Bethany along with his sisters, Martha and Mary, right? And they were friends of Yeshua's. They were very close friends from what we know. And um, Lazarus gets sick. You know the story, right? Lazarus gets sick and Yeshua hangs out, uh, you know, at home, in his home in Galilee for a couple more days even though he knows Lazarus is dead. And finally then, he, he goes. And he knows, of course, what's coming. He knows what, what this setup is all about. But his disciples are all, all like, come on, you know, we've got, we got to go and we've got to be there for him. And so let's pick it up in verse 17 of Yochanan 11. So when Yeshua arrived, he arrives in Bethany, right? He discovered that Lazarus had been in the tomb already for four days. So Lazarus got sick, and Yeshua, instead of rushing down there uh, to heal him, as he had healed many uh, in, in Israel already, and it was expected that he would do that, right? Uh, he hung around for a couple more days, and then he finally gets there. And so obviously it took him several days to travel down to Bethany. And um, so he gets there, but, but Lazarus was already dead for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Judeans had come to Martha and, Mir- and Miriam to console them about their brother. Okay, so there's the setup. So when Martha, 
heard that Yeshua was coming, she went out to meet him. But Miriam sat in the house. So, you know, you've heard messages about the difference between Miriam and Martha. You know, Martha was the perfectionist. She was, you know, the high energy person, always making sure everything was was getting done, everything was just right. And Mary, um, um, uh, Miriam, Mary, she preferred to just hang out in the presence of Yeshua, right? And that's what she was doing. So uh, Miriam, excuse me, Martha, she goes out to meet him, but Miriam was hanging around in the house. Martha said to Yeshua, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So you can imagine the anguish, having seen Yeshua heal many people, and he didn't show up at that moment when he could have healed uh, her brother Lazarus. But now he shows up four days later. So you can imagine the frustration that she must be uh, experiencing. How many, how many times have you, uh, you know, experienced frustration where you just feel like God hasn't shown up in time? It's not on your timetable, right? not on my timetable. God has his own timetable. Well, Yeshua had his own timetable here. So um, she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Okay, so she's got Yeshua in this, painted in this box that if he had been there when he was still, you know, there alive, even though sick, he could have healed him because that's what she understood. And then she says in verse 22, but I know even now that whatever you may ask God, he will give you. So she had the faith to believe that God somehow, that Yeshua somehow might be able to do something here. And Yeshua said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, her response is very interesting. She says, Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Wow. So Martha had a certain theological understanding that was common in Judaism of that day and, in fact, is still embedded, really, into Jewish understanding today. Uh, Even Rambam, how many of you know who Rambam was, Maimonides, uh, one of the pillars of Jewish teaching, a philosopher in medieval times in Spain, and then he had... He came up with 13 attributes or 13 uh, principles or foundations of Judaism. And I won't go through all 13 of them. Chaim could probably do that right off the top of his head. But, um, uh, but the 13th, actually 12 and 13 are very significant because 12 is, I believe in perfect faith, uh, uh, perfect faith. Beviat HaMashiach, in the coming of the Messiah. Though he tarry, yet I will wait for him. And then number 13 is, Ani Ma'amin Bi'emuna Shlema Be'tichiat HaMetim, in the resurrection of the dead. Wow, really? I thought that was a Christian concept. No, it's embedded into Jewish theology the resurrection of the dead. So maybe Martha read Rambam. Oh, wait, no, that couldn't happen yet. The other way around. I don't know. So she has this understanding uh, that there will be the resurrection in the last days. By the way, last week, uh, the Haftorah portion, the last, uh, which is part of the Pesach, uh, Passover, is Ezekiel 37, the dry bones. 
And the rabbis said that there's the expectation in the end times, in the redemption of all things, where they'll, it'll, be, it'll happen at Pesach. And they call Pesach Le'atid, the Passover of the future. So the last few days of Passover are focused on the future, the resurrection of the dead, the restoration of all things, the uh, restoration of Israel back to the land, and, and the spiritual rebirth of Israel, and so on, and so on, and so on. And that's all associated with Pesach, which we just, uh, which we just came through. Interesting thing I came across, there's a Hasidic tradition that says that on the eighth day of Pesach, which of course is an extra day, that's not biblical, but it's nevertheless uh, Orthodox Jews celebrate it, that it's, that it's uh, traditional to have what they call, the Hasidim call a Mashiach, a feast of Mashiach, a Messiah's feast in anticipation of the Messiah coming at the end of the age. Very interesting, right? So Yeshua, back to our story here, he says to her, your brother will rise. She says, I know he will rise again in the Mechiyat HaMetim and the resurrection of the last day and the resurrection of the dead. And then he says this key verse to her, verse 25. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Woo. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Yeshua, as he often does, he breaks out of the theological box that we put that people put him in. So here, Martha, she's thinking, yeah, there's going to be something in the future. I read about it. I heard about it. And Yeshua says, I am, present tense, I am the resurrection and the life. And even though whoever believes in me, even if he dies, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So he's connecting his own resurrection to the resurrection life that all of us have who believe in him and have received him as our Messiah, right? Amen, yes. And so uh, he challenged, do you believe this? And she says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Mashiach, you are the Messiah, Son of God, Ben Elohim, who has come into the world. After she said this, she left, secretly told her sister Miriam, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. As soon as Miriam heard, she quickly got up and was coming to him. Now Yeshua had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Judeans who were with Miriam in the house, comforting her, seeing how quickly she got up and went out, followed her. They thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. Okay, so uh, let's drop down to verse 38. I have this other interaction. Let's look at first. Verse 38, now Yeshua comes to the tomb. Yeshua, again, deeply troubled within himself, comes to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Yeshua says, roll away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Master, by this time he stinks. He's been dead for four days. Wow. Can you imagine? Yeshua says to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So Yeshua transcends even decaying death, 
right? He's in the grave for four days. And she's going, Yeshua, you don't understand. He's, he's going to stink. And he says, what's wrong? Don't you believe? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Isn't that the truth for us as well? If we believe, if we really believe and we live our lives out of that belief, God will show his glory to us, and he does all the time. So they rolled away the stone. Yeshua lifts up his eyes and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of this crowd standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Now, did Yeshua have to pray? Did he have to look to the heavens, to God? No. But he was submitted to his father. He always only did what his father showed him, right? And he did it to demonstrate to those there that he was submitted to, to his father and that they may believe that you sent me, that God had sent him, that he was from God. And now, verse 43, when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, I don't know, did he have to shout it out? Could have just said, Lazarus, come out. Could have said that too, right? But he shouted it out so everyone could hear him, that there was no mistaking, no mistaking that Yeshua was calling him forth to life. Come out. And he who had been dead came out, wrapped in burial clothes, binding his hands and feet with a cloth over his face. And Yeshua tells them, cut him loose and let him go. So here we see Lazarus being raised from the dead as a foreshadowing of Yeshua himself. Right? This is the greatest miracle that Yeshua performs on the earth, isn't it? I mean, it pales, I mean, it, 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 it you know, overshadows anything that he did before this, whether it be healing the blind man who was born blind, whether it be the lepers, whether it be any of the other miracles, the paralyzed man, the casting out of demons, all the things that he did, of all the things that he did, this is the greatest miracle because in this miracle, he demonstrated his power over death. Death is a consequence of sin. Uh, death is a consequence of the fall, right? And he now is demonstrating his power over, the, over sin, over death, over the enemy's plans for mankind. And then he's going to, not too long after this, uh, go to his own death, burial, and resurrection. The interesting thing here to me is that when Lazarus comes out of the grave, he still has the grave clothes on. He's bound up in grave clothes. To me, that's a picture of how when we come to faith, we are risen in new life, right? We've been risen in the newness of life, but yet we still have some grave clothes on. We still have some wrappings of death around us that we sometimes have to struggle with. And Yeshua told those that were around Lazarus, his friends, unbind him from those death, clo death cloths and let him free, set him free. So he was alive, but he was still bound up. And that's the picture. To me, it's a picture of how when we come to faith in Yeshua, we are alive, right? In position of the, uh, in God, we are redeemed. We are the righteousness of God in the Messiah. 
but yet we still have some of the grave clothes. And, you know, when I first came to faith 30 years ago, you know, I just knew that he was the one. I mean, he came into my heart, came into my life. And I knew I was, you know, redeemed. I knew that I was in his kingdom. When I would die, I would go to be with him and so on. But I had no idea how much, can I say, stuff that I was carrying around. You know, how much grave clothes, how much stinky stuff was still hanging around and, and I was carrying around, I was bound up. And, and, you know, sometimes God does it quickly. Sometimes it takes a little time to unwind some of those uh, grave clothes. And to me, this is the nitty-gritty of what it means to really go from death to life. Yes. You know? Yes, positionally, we're, uh, we are redeemed. In Him, we have life. And we have it abundantly. But oftentimes, we're not living that abundant life. And the things that keep us bound up from living that abundant life are things like unforgiveness, things like bitterness, things like hurts of the past, things like shame uh, of of things that we've done, guilt uh, that we carry around with. Those are the grave clothes. Those are the things that, that bind us up, anger. Um, rejection, fear, phobias, addictions, on and on and on. You know, you name it. We all have our own list of things, don't we, that have kept us from coming into the fullness, that abundant life. You know, when in, in John 10, uh, in this previous chapter, when Yeshua spoke about the abundant life, right, he said that, uh, you know, the enemy, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, Right? And we live our lives often, even as believers, yet we're still bound up oftentimes in that paradigm of, of death, of, of, of being robbed and being, you know, of the enemy's tactics. But Yeshua said that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that word there for abundant life is like an over-the-top, beyond, you know, our, our just our ability to understand and imagine what he's done, what he has for us, that victorious life, that uh, just joyful, over-the-top life. That's what he has for us, for every one of us. But yet we're bound up in those grave clothes, aren't we? So often that keeps us from really coming. You know, we can, we can get by, you know, we can get by, and, and we have, you know, glory to glory, we have those moments where we encounter God and he does the work, uh, and we all have our own... Um, you know, journey that God takes us through. And for us, for Gloria and I, as we have gone on our journey over these last 30 years, even as congregational leaders, uh, we came to a place where we recognized we needed some more. And we, we actually went through about uh, 14 years ago, we went through the RTF uh, individual with another couple, uh, this five-day process, and it was life-changing. It was amazing. Uh, and it changed us, and it changed the, the way we minister to others and, and how we view things, and just getting free, just getting some healing uh, that we needed. And then as God began to unfold what he uh, showed us over these last few years of raising up uh, a younger leader, and because uh, we've been very much involved with youth ministry and, and, and discipling youth and young adults and so forth, and we knew that in order for our movement to 
survive, let's say, you know, uh, for the next generation, that we had to pour in uh, to young people. And so we, we began to do that over the last six or seven years. And in that process, uh, we, we also came to a place where we recognized uh, uh, that there was a lot that, of healing that needed to take place, especially, well, all of us. Let's just say all of us, okay? And in this younger generation that is, uh, grows, uh, many have grown up, in at a broken homes and you know fatherlessness and so forth, orphan generation, if you will, uh, with the with the pull of the culture and, and temptation and so forth, and especially so especially we have felt a call to minister to to young people as well, and so um, you know even as we came into this understanding and we recognized our own need. Uh, we've always felt like, okay, God, you know, us first. You know, we, we want to be there first to receive what he has for us so we can be more effective. And so as we got more into uh, the, this RTF, this process, um, and again, it is a vehicle, it is a tool that God has used over the last 25, 30 years uh, by the founders and those that have been trained through it. And very simply, it deals with four main areas uh, one is generational sins, generational curses, uh, and the result generational sorry sins of the fathers and resulting curses, uh, and it's based on Exodus chapter twenty verse five, which says that God visits the iniquities of the parents or the fathers to the children, right? And so while we don't uh, aren't responsible for our parents' sins, but we have the predisposition to enter in to those same sins. And as we went through our process, as I went through mine, I looked at my family line that I knew about, my father, grandparents, and so forth, parents, grandparents, and I saw certain patterns that were common in those generations and were evident in my life as well, sin patterns. And we deal with those. And then we deal with what we call ungodly beliefs, which are simply the lies that we believe. Uh, that we take for granted that are truth, but they're really lies. Lies about ourselves. You know, I'm worthless. I can never succeed. I can never do anything uh, right. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm, you know, whatever it is. But what does God say? What is the truth that God says about us? He says we are beloved by Him. We are beautiful in His sight. We are the righteousness of God and Messiah. But when we, when we uh, have those uh, ungodly beliefs that are sort of deep inside of us, even though when we hear the truth, we don't necessarily believe it because we're operating out of the lies that we believed about ourselves and about God. God doesn't love me like he loves other people. Uh, God, you know, I can't do enough to please God and things like so forth. And then lies that we believe about others. And so in the process, we, we unpack those things and the lies uh, that are so common that we don't even realize that we've been living our lives out of those lies and if we walk in truth, the truth, we will know the truth. And what? The truth shall set us free. And that's what we want is freedom. And then the uh, hurts of the past. And almost all of us at some point in our lives, typically in childhood, have experienced hurt, shame, uh, embarrassment of some sort. And we carry that around. Oh, well, we do a good job of covering it up of living our lives, you know, best we can. But oftentimes those wounds of the past 
have uh, hindered our ability to be uh, who God has called us to be in the full identity that he's called us. And so we deal with those as well. And we, we, we bring Yeshua in because he's the healer, the healer to bring in to heal the pain that, uh, that comes out of those or resulted out of those memories, those hurtful memories. And then lastly, the fourth area is the demonic oppression. See, the enemy is a legalist. You've heard this before, right? The enemy can only go where he has a legal right to go. And so those other three areas that I just mentioned are legal entry points for the enemy to oppress us. And we can't cast out demons till we're blue in the face. But if they have a legal right to oppress us, now we don't believe that believers can be uh, possessed, but we can be oppressed, right, by the enemy. And to the degree that we have those open doors of the generational sins and the lies that we believe and the hurts and the lies that we believe because of those hurts, those are legal entry points for the enemy to come and harass us and to thwart our ability to walk in that resurrection life, in that abundant life, in the newness of life that God has for us. And now listen, this is a process that we all go through through life. Um, We never arrive fully. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we do arrive finally, right? We will arrive finally when we see him face to face. In the either we're here and he returns and we're changed as that scripture that we read earlier from Corinthians in the twinkling of an eye, transformed, or we are part of the Mechiat team that we, you know, that's part of the traditional prayers in the Amidah that we recite, uh, you know, um, uh, that he, he's the one who, who raises the dead sleeping in their graves. But until that happens, though, we call it the journey, right? God wants us to walk in our freedom. He wants us to walk in the wholeness, in the fullness of life that he's, um, that he's given to us. Paul, Rav Shaul, made this incredible statement in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. He said, therefore, we were buried together with him through immersion, through mikvah, into his death, in order that just as Messiah was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become joined together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also will be joined together in his resurrection. Amen? And in in, uh, chapter 8 of Romans, verse 11, Paul also wrote, And if the Ruach of the one who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Ruach who dwells in you. The key word is life. He's come to give us that life, resurrection life. So when we celebrate, and you know, every day is resurrection life. Every day, we don't just celebrate it once a year, but every day should be a celebration of the new life that we have in him. Amen? So I want to ask you, how are you doing Living that abundant, fulfilled, and victorious life. Is the pain of life overshadowing the calling and destiny of God on your life that he's called you to walk in? I want to encourage all of us all the time to walk in that freedom, 
to walk in that resurrection life. So I want to just pray for you right now as I close. And if that's you, if you're struggling, if you're having, you know, things that I've talked about are touching a chord in your life, um, just close your eyes and I want to pray for you right now. For Abba in Yeshua's name, I thank you, O oh God, that you have sent Messiah Yeshua and that even though he lived died, was buried, and was resurrected, and it took place 2,000 years ago, yet that event transcends time. And even right now, we can walk in that newness of life, in that resurrection life. And so I pray, oh God, for anyone that's here today that is struggling in, in, in any of these areas, in bitterness, in unforgiveness, and uh, with anger, with... Um, abandonment with any of the issues of life that are common to the fall, that are common to all of us, but yet the things that you came, that you sent Yeshua, who came to free us from those things. So I pray right now that the power of the resurrected life of Yeshua would come right now and bring healing, would bring uh, peace into your heart. We bring forgiveness into your heart. If there's anyone that you need to forgive, it's a big issue is forgiveness. Yeshua hung on that cross before he was even, before anything, he said, God, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What they do. He walked in forgiveness all the time. And if he, who was without sin, can forgive those, all of us who put him on that cross, so too we can forgive those who have hurt us. So I want to encourage you to forgive. Ask God for forgiveness, for forgiveness, and forgive yourself. And you will experience the power of the resurrected life in a deeper and more powerful way. In Yeshua's name, amen.